0: Published or not has been on air for over 20 years. And in
1: that time, it's been hosted by Jan Goldsmith.
0: Well, just recently, over the last seven years, I've been joined by David McLean.
1: We'll be talking about text, discussing words and ideas.
0: With local authors, authors from interstate, or sometimes even from other countries. You can stream it live or find it on your favourite podcast app.
1: So join us... Every Thursday at 11.30 on 3CR.
0: I've been working on my rewrite, that's right. I'm going to change the ending. Going to throw away my title and toss it in the trash.
1: That's our new intro, No, I
0: I love that. We're going to do a rewrite and change the ending. Well, I don't know whether our authors today needed to do that.
1: Well, shall we bring them in? We're doing something technologically we've never done before. So hopefully this will work. So uh, who have we got about to talk?
0: Well, hopefully we've got Graham Simpson and Anne Bused.
1: Graham and Anne, are you there? Uh,
2: It's Tim Winton. Tim Tim Winton? Tim (laughs) Winton?
1: (laughs) <laughs> oh, boy, technology's taken us to the other side of the country. Thank you very much indeed. Now, i better warn everybody, listeners, authors, guests, uh, co-panelists, this is going to be a chaotic show today because it's fundraising time.
0: It's Radiothon. Yay, yay, yay.
1: So we're going to be interrupted by donations and all sorts of things. Our authors, of course, want to talk about uh, their new book, and my first impression upon reading this is that this book should have been banned. <gasps> banned! Well, it's called Two Steps Onward. It's about walking the the Chemin de Shem- Assis. Chemin de Assis. It's a companion piece to uh, One Step Forward, which was about the Santiago walk. But they're going beyond the twenty-five kilometre limit <laughs> uh, in in a foreign country. This is this is not good in times of a of a pandemic. But you got in before the pandemic, Graham. I'm
2: um, only just research-wise. We we finished our actual walking, which we needed to do to give us the background to the book. Our tax deductible research in uh, France and in Italy on fourth of March, 2020. So it was all going down in, in Lombardy at that at that point. And uh, they were very casual about it when we arrived in Rome at the end of the walk. Um, but by the time we got to Dubai, flying home the next day. Everybody's in the hazmat suits and so forth, and and it was suddenly sort of brought home to us just how serious this whole thing was. So we just made it.
0: Got home in March, and then you sort of sat down and thought, well, we could turn this into yet another plan, another book. Was that the plan at the original outset?
2: I don't think the tax man would accept that as a, at all. Um, no, we, we actually had an advance, a contract for the book before we started walking. Because we'd written this first book, Two Steps Forward, which is the Camino de Santiago de Compostela, the, sort of the famous, very well-known Pilgrim's Walk. And we decided we wanted to do a sequel. We wanted to do it on this particular walk. So uh, Michael Haywood at Text Publishing was happy to go with that idea. And so by the time we started walking, we actually had a pretty clear plot in mind, what we lacked was, I guess, the reality of the setting. I mean, we knew what it was on the map. It was a case of actually going to those places experiencing the walk and doing it. So, uh, no, no, unlike the first book where we walked the Camino and then got to the end and thought, wow, would you write a book about this um, or set in this place, a novel? Um, this was very much planned.
1: Anne, when it comes to planning a novel, in this novel, and we'll get into the characters in a moment, we have couples falling in and out of cooperation, and it comes to mind that in writing a book in cooperation and even in undertaking the walk, there must have been some falling in and falling out and disagreements along the way about the uh, direction of the book and plot and such like. Was that a concern at any stage?
3: Um Really, and thank you very much for having us on. Great to be here. Um, we we were both very sort of dedicated to, to doing this, this walk, both the walk and, re, and writing it. And we, we kind of planned it out before we set it. But then, of course, the walk intervened and changed our minds. And I think the biggest challenge was Graham cheering me up as I went over the Alps. Um, <laughs> the, 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 the first day of the traditional Camino walk in Spain is up from St John Peterport up over a large mountain, 28 k is quite tough. We did five of those in a row, and I'm um, thinking, saying, "Oh God, is it me just getting old?" You know, what is it? Graham shows me the Apple Watch and shows you know the what we'd been over, and I thought, "Oh, okay, that was actually pretty tough." Um, and then in Liguria, which we write about, it which is a beautiful part of Italy, but quite a. a, a in the mountains, as opposed to the Cinque Terre on the coast, in the mountains, it's sort of decaying, um, and a lot of old hotels sort of falling apart. It was hard not to be infected by that, as we were waiting for our visa extension, and so so Graham took on cheering up. But we both agreed pretty much on, on everything, and nothing that a glass of wine pre-dinner couldn't solve.
1: Now, I want to get into some of these characters before we get on to this notion of penance. Uh, and such like. You have Martin and Zoe, two characters that were in the original uh, walk on the Camino de Santiago. And interestingly, in that novel, they sort of ended up going their separate ways. We've got uh, Camille and Gilbert and Bernard, who was uh, in the original as well, and Sarah. And all of them have a sort of interesting, um, how would we put it, their relationships morph as they journey along. So reintroduce us to Martin and Zoe first because they're particularly interesting people.
2: Well, what do they do, Martin? And then Anne can do Zoe. Um, And then, um, so in the first book, we've got Martin, who's an engineer, a little in the mould of Don Tillman from the Rosie Project, although not quite as extreme. But he's a man who lives pretty much in his head. And he's decided to walk the Camino de Santiago. He's decided to walk 2,000 kilometres to demonstrate this cart that he's invented that you pull along behind you rather than carrying a backpack. He says. He's an engineer and he needs to rebuild his finances after a very bitter divorce. So he's a, a bitter, but very focused and organised engineer walking the Camino for financial reasons.
1: But he also likes and to really, fix things and looks for things to fix along the way.
2: Yeah, look, he's a practical guy. He's a decent, he's a decent human being, but fairly oblivious to nature. Fairly clunky with uh, with human relationships, perhaps no worse than the average bloke, but yeah, you know, he's certainly not the sort of sensitive new age guy.
1: Well, Anne, what does Zoe see in Martin?
3: Well, not much than the first book, or, <laughs> or not to start with, because she's uh, letting the universe uh, send her somewhere she's totally unprepared to go, co- recovering from the grief of her husband's. Unpredicted death. And, you know, they, they don't like each other to begin with, but they basically learn from each other. And at the beginning of this book, Two Steps Onward, in fact, they have shifted. They didn't end up getting together, well, it's kind of left up in the air at the end of the first one, but, but they've actually shifted from that. And the Camino does that. Camino, long walks tend to change you, particularly pilgrimages. And Martin's kind of gone along the taking therapy and doing yoga. And we start off the book with her... She's in corporate world, going slightly insane. Um, And the called arms to to walk to Rome uh, with her friend Camille is a sort of a a time to rebalance and rethink. Perhaps the pendulum went a bit far for both of them.
1: Now, what's interesting... uh, Let's get on to Bernard and Sarah. Sarah is Martin's daughter, and she's got a few challenges, Anne.
3: Yeah, but Sarah is definitely Graham's character, so I'm going to let him discuss Sarah.
1: Okay, fair enough. <laughs> we had
3: three each. Uh, mine is definitely Zoe and Camille, um, and Bernard ended up being the one that Zoe quite likes Bernard, um, and, of course, Martin doesn't, so I have my three. Graham's going to talk about Sarah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, because because both of these books, Two Steps Forward and Two Steps Onward, are narrated in alternating voices. So the voice of Zoe, the American flake, narrated in you know, Anne writes her chapters in the first instance, and Martin, the British engineer, I write his his chapters in the first instance. So Sarah, Martin's daughter, is is obviously closer to Martin in terms of impact and so forth. But she's a, a medical student who has been struggling. And Martin has decided that since the Camino changed him, maybe a long walk would be just the thing to um, to sort Sarah's head out. Um, and, you know, like all well-meaning parents, he's, uh, he's organised something that, he's, that his kid has got absolutely no interest whatsoever in.
1: Bernard lacks direction, Anne.
3: Um, certainly does, and we, we were doing a first live event like ever in Matildas in Adelaide a couple of days ago. And we read out their motivations because they're got different motivations, and each of the six have a different arc. And, and Bernard summed up by didn't have anything better else better to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, much to Martin's disgust, of course, uh, but Bernard cites Sarah I thinks, "Oh, this might be fun," and Martin not happy with this and of course Zoe's not all that happy with having this potential stepdaughter who's got got attitude. So there's lots of capacity for, for difficult relationships needing to be resolved.
1: But what's interesting is that yes of young people you think maybe they don't have the direction they need, uh, they should look to the adults for a bit of purpose and support but in some ways Martin and Zoe lack direction or are discovering themselves just as Bernard and Sarah are discovering themselves. What's going on here?
2: Well, well let, let, me, let me say that you know, when you were describing Two Steps Forward, the first, the first book in the series before, and, talking about, and, and Anne was talking about Martin and Zoe not liking each other at first and then being attracted, you think, oh, my God, we've got a romantic comedy here. And in fact, it started off, was with us intending to write a romantic comedy because I'd done the Rosie Project. I, I knew all the tropes. I knew how to do it. We thought, let's let's reuse this knowledge. But as we as we wrote it, we found that as we're dealing with older people, in Martin's in his 50s, Zoe's in the late 40s, that, that great requirement of romantic comedy, that romantic love be the most important value in the story, just didn't apply to people who had family responsibilities. Um, Zoe is struggling even at, at her age, to be financially independent. You know, big, bigger things that get in the way of romantic love. And, and what the story both books have ended up being about, I think, is about personal reinvention at, at any age. I mean, Sarah, as you say, Sarah and um, Bernard, the young people in their 20s in their early 20s, um, are a little directionless at the stage, as people often are. But... So uh, the older people in the book, and including, will come to
1: I guess Cam- Camille and uh, Gilbert. Gilbert. We we yeah. will Gilbert, Camille and, and Gilbert, Cam- or Gilbert or Gilbert, which do you? Gil- Gilbert. Gilbert. That's now, lovely. They actually raise an interesting notion. Well, in fact, Camille and Zoe also have a relationship of such of sorts. And this raises the notion of, well, I'm going to get on to mutual sin a little later, but Camille is struggling with MS and Gilbert is trying to repair or support Camille. How would you describe their relationship?
3: What we wanted to do was show that MS can present in different ways. And she has a, a more unusual but but perfectly possible way of it presenting. So rather than it being physical, um, she, she's got some memory problems some difficulties with, with her thinking. And their marriage breaks up over that. And then when she gets diagnosed, Gilbert feels guilty for having abandoned her and comes back. But she's not sure she wants him. Um, and so... There's this whole choice for her and, and the pressure from the others about her taking this wonderful man who wants to support her and is dedicated to her, but she doesn't love. She, she's doing this pilgrimage for the most traditional of reasons, for it's, you know, to see the Pope. She is religious, she is Catholic, and she, she wants to reflect on her life and make up for the sins. But Gilbert is Really, they're having a a drink, um, liking the food, um, but wanting to support her.
1: But how much of her condition influences her thinking when it comes to whether she's in love with Gilbert or not? Is it a manifestation of the MS when she doesn't think she wants to be with him again? Because she's, she's fabricated incidences or recollected them falsely as well.
3: And I think this is a real challenge for, for when we're looking, we're caring, we have people that are close to us that have conditions that may affect how they're thinking. How do we validate them, allow them to have their own integrity and voice, and, and not do what we think they should do? And I think that they, they, that the characters fight, well, not fight over this, but certainly discuss this. They have sort of conversations behind the back saying, Should we be pushing her to Gilbert, it makes sense to us. But Zoe ends up... There's a very sort of interesting one of the themes that came out of the book was this very unusual friendship that um, she and Camille have. And what it made us reflect on is, well, I, for instance, have had friends that I've known since aged eight, whereas I didn't meet Graham until I was 23, and as we get older, I'm, you know, spending a lot of time with those girlfriends. They're really hugely important to me. Uh, and when you have a much more recent relationship, where do you put values of those relationships, of a recent romantic relationship, versus girlfriends of forty or more years? Uh, Who are you going to choose? Yeah, and we we make her choose at the end.
1: But is it a case of choosing? Because when you look at the progression of relationships, Bernard and Sarah don't know necessarily what the outcome of their relationship will be or whether they should be in it in the first place and what they're going to do in the future. So relationships aren't necessarily
2: fixed in that regard. Yeah, and look, you know, when you when you write when you write a book, and certainly when we write a book, we're not trying to to lecture anybody on what the what the solutions are here. We're saying let's put some of these issues and on the table for reflection. Let's show the contrast where Bernard and Sarah can say, well, let tomorrow bring what tomorrow brings. At the moment, we're having a good time. Whereas Camille and Gilles certainly Camille feels compelled to find some sort of a resolution. She's looking at you know, death being closer than she'd she'd hoped it might be. She wants to get this thing sorted. Gilbert would probably just roll along and keep drinking, keep drinking the wine. But let let me share a little bit of something with you. The Camille character you asked asked about the multiple sclerosis side of it. She was actually inspired. uh, The multiple sclerosis aspect of her character, not the uh, the flirtatious side or whatever, uh, was inspired by a friend of ours who is in a more advanced situation with uh, with multiple sclerosis and with dementia being a, a very big part of her presentation. She, in fact, is the wife of the guy who inspired Don Tillman and the Rosie Project. Uh-huh. So um, so they've made a fairly significant contribution to our writing.
1: Amazing, amazing. But I've got another concept to raise here. People's motivations for going on a pilgrimage to seek penance for their own sins, but with the relationship with Camille and Zoe, there's a concept almost of mutual sin because Zoe given advice to Camille. Camille's had in her earlier life. Is it giving it too much away if I say it? Or
0: no, it's not, I'd I'd like it does
2: I, I, I think I'll take it. in the first book we mentioned that Camille's termination. Yes, and that Zoe supported it in doing it. And that was the beginning of their bond together. Perhaps it's a bit of a spoiler to talk to talk too much about how that plays out in the second book. Mm. Mm. But but it
1: raises that notion of who is responsible, the person taking the action or people giving advice and whether sin for that matter is uh, upon the head of an individual or is it a collective sin of people that offer support? Well, for the
3: armchair travellers that that want to read this book and it's it's quite light on the surface, but these deeper questions are there. And that's what long walks do, whether you're Catholic or not. I think everyone on the pilgrimage, certainly the Camino de Santiago, often has something they're thinking through. Sometimes they don't even know what it is. But I think guilt and blame, grief, these are really common themes that we, we found when we met people on the Camino Francis. And inevitably, they kind of feed their way into our characters as well.
1: And also then, yes, parental influence on children and um, the damage parents can do <laughs> or children blame them for as well.
3: Uh, yes, poor parents. They can never get it right. I mean, this is with my other hat on, the perinatal psychiatry. really wanting to educate parents about sort of reading their children's cues. But, you know, no parent is perfect and and nor would you want them to be because you learn from parents making mistakes and repairing them. And that's, I think, the really kind of key thing. And and that's what Martin's still doing. And Zoe has a few problems with her children back home as well that she manages to repair at the end of this. So we never... It's a constant ongoing because we're
0: not perfect. I'm going to take it away from religion and ill health into another subject of the book. And this is the quote, shagging, bonking, and a bit of the (laughs) other. And there was quite a bit of that going on with this, which was fantastic. But of course, you know, in all these pilgrimages and and the the accommodation and and things they were staying in, the walls were pretty thin. So breaking out the inner dominatrix... Had problems with noise carrying. There was many incidences of humour through this book. Well, well done. You've
1: also got femme de fromage or femme de fromage, and, and fromage At
3: the fridge. The Fridge, yeah, do the, the Fridge. Against, against
1: the, the, the Fridge. fridge. <laughs> um, is it, is it, you know, quite a, quite a shocking novel. I, I didn't know whether I was old enough to read it. Um, the, the quote I loved was actually about the boy scout who arrived home late, uh, took him an hour to help the old lady across the road because she didn't really want to cross
2: the road. <laughs> Oh, it's a real dad joke. That
0: is. <laughs> well, this is a language joke, which I thought was just so funny. You know, Sarah being the younger woman there, and uh, the other the other two women, you know, sort of got a few problems, probably menopause. And here they're leaving the hotel, and the hotel owner comes running after them, crying, "Tampons, tampons!" <laughs> it's seriously embarrassing, Sarah. So I, I didn't realise either that. Well, what was? You got well, your
2: tampon. Yep. <laughs> Left
1: them behind. <laughs> uh, but the word means in French.
2: Oh, it, it's a stamp. Um, <laughs> it so, for their so, passport, so when, when, mm. when you travel on these caminos, each place that you stay, you have a, a so-called pilgrim's passport. You know, a, a document, and they stamp that to show that you've been, you've been there, and you've actually completed the distance, um, and or at least made the stops. So um, I, I the look, young man's running look. out and saying, tampons, tampons, you forgot your tampons. And then, you know, obviously there's a degree of embarrassment here. I mean, it's a, uh, there's a certain amount of humor that you're going to be able to generate From people having relationships, some of them new, some of them old, and and a father and daughter travelling together and so forth. And that's fairly, fairly easy to do. And look, when certainly my writing, perhaps less so Anne's, who writes, although Anne um, writes in in her crime novels, she'll still throw in a little bit of comedy here and there. But for me, right from the Rosie Project onwards, it's always been intrinsic. To to, to the writing that I do, that there is a a level of levity to balance, you know, some of quite serious issues. So it's a light, as Anne said, it's a light read, a light travel read, but hopefully, if you want to dig a little bit deeper, you'll find the stuff to think about.
1: You were wanting to say something there, Anne, before? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Always, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I've completely forgotten what it was now. <laughs> well, look, that might be a good,
1: <laughs> might be a good point. We're going to have to to wind things up. We've got about three minutes left before we're off air. But Jan, did you have anything you wanted to
0: add? Firstly, radiothon program. Thank you very much, Graham and Anne, for offering to come on here, talk about your book and. You knew you were going to be constantly interrupted, so that was that was the. Our thanks. original
1: plan was to have Graham and Anne in here live as a mark that we were coming out of lockdown, only to go back into another lockdown, which has forced us to use technology again. But Graham and. Thank you very much for your help today.
0: Thank you for giving us a light-hearted read when we were in lockdown. You know, I, I could walk further than the tw- the twenty-five. Twenty-five kilometres, and I I so enjoyed all the cheese and the scenery. But it's called envy, isn't it? And the, envy, and it? the mushrooms. <laughs> you know, it was it was a good read. Thank and the wine,
1: thank you. and the wine. But we're very envious of you well, both. Well,
3: thank you. Thank you for having us on, and hopefully we'll be all out uh, able to walk, certainly in Australia and and maybe even overseas by next year at least.
1: We need a pilgrimage in Australia, don't we? Are there any grand, great pilgrimages?
3: Yeah, there's some very long... The Camino, Friends of the Camino have sort of got one in largely South Australia, and Victoria, along uh, Mary MacKillop's kind of life where she lived. That's quite short. The problem with Australia is our towns are too far apart. Yeah. So you ten, tend to have to carry a tent, which we're not keen on. <laughs> no. it's a
2: word. I'm with you. There's not a
1: jeet along the way. Well, thank you no, once there's, again. There's and
2: answer, one, can I answer one practical question that everybody asks? Yes. We've been talking about Two Steps Onward, our latest book, and people say, can I read it standalone? Yes. And the, you know, without Two Steps forward, The answer, well, you've read it. Um, the answer I would say is yes. why would you want
1: it? Well, you can always go back to the Camino de Santiago and find out more of the background, but it does stand alone. You can read it alone. That basically takes us out for another week, Jan.
0: Yes, we'll be back next week. I don't know whether we'll be with authors in the studio, but we'll hope.
1: Well, it may be a little while before we were getting to that stage and now it's drifted off. I'm just going to actually press this button yes, and, and say let goodbye Graham, to Graham and, Graham and Anne, Anne go. So Graham Thanks and again. Anne, stay so thee much. well and we will catch you again at the next book. Bye for now. Thank her.
3: you, Jan David. Bye.